Clap your hands, all you people. Amen. Come on, everybody, clap your hands. Worship the Lord in this house today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anybody glad to be apostolic? Anybody glad to be baptized in his name? Feel with the Spirit. Anybody glad you're on your way to heaven this morning? Amen. Things may not be going my way, but I'm still on my way to heaven. Ah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, oh, it's good to be in church here on a Sunday morning. Amen. Feeling the presence of the Lord. And we are so, so blessed uh, to feel what we feel. There are a lot of people in the world today that have gone to church uh, out of habit. It's just what they do of a Sunday. And uh, they're going to go to church a certain way. They're going to leave the same way they went to church. Remember, we are so blessed today to be a part of something that can change us, something that can help us, something that can build us up. Amen, and I, I really believe here in this service that God wants to do just that. Amen. You can return to your seats. We're going to go to the book of Exodus chapter 14. If it's okay, I'm just going to preach a little while here today. I know it's a Sunday morning. And a lot of places they have Sunday school. Sometimes I do teach. In fact, back home I do a little bit of teaching, but I just feel like preaching here this morning. Anybody going to help me preach here this morning? Praise God. Exodus chapter 14, and we'll begin reading with verse number 10. Again, I want to say that it's so good to be in the state of Kansas. Now, I'm just teasing. I found out. I found out. <laughs> uh, man, I got a revelation on Friday night. This is not Kansas. I was wondering why it was so tight. I guess it's because I... No, I'm just I'm just teasing. Thank you for your response to the word on Friday night. Had a good time in the Holy Ghost. Exodus 14, verse number 10. The Bible says that when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. They were sore afraid. The children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, Hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Verse number 18, he says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. Amen. If you place your Bibles down and help me pray right now. God, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you for your spirit that is here. God, I'm asking you right now to anoint my mind. 
I'm asking you to quicken my spirit, Lord. Let me be a vessel. Let me be an instrument. Let me be a tool in your hands today to touch somebody's heart, God. Minister, God, and move in a mighty, mighty way. And God, we will be careful to give you all the glory. We'll give you all the praise. And everybody shout in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Amen. I am not a, a chess player. I've never played chess before in my life. I don't know. Maybe there's some people here that know how to play. If you do, show raise your hand. Amen. we got a couple people that play chess. Uh, I've, I've never played it. Something about it seems like it's just a bit complicated. I do know that chess is a game that requires a bit more forethought. It requires a bit more strategizing than a game of checkers. Now, when it comes to checkers, amen, I can whoop up on anybody in this house. Praise God. <laughs> amen. I, I can play checkers, but never, never have gotten into the game of chess. Uh, I do know that there are different pieces. It's, 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 it's a game that, if I understand it correctly, you've got, you've got the pawn and you've got the, the rook and you've got the bishop and, and help me out, you've got the king and knight and the queen and the castle. Yeah, see, that's that's a bit much for me. I just know the red and black pieces. But if I understand the game correctly, the object of the game is to get your opponent's king situated in such a way on that board that he has nowhere to go. And if I understand correctly, that is called checkmate. The king is locked up. He's immobile. There's nowhere for him to move. And that is how you win the game. There are people, uh, in fact, across the pond that, that play this game, and they're very, very serious about it. A lot of money goes into these tournaments. Uh, they, they, I have heard that some games last for hours and even days sometimes as an opponent is, is sitting there, sitting there, studying the board, studying his next move, thinking if I move here, they're going to move here. And if they move here, then I'll move here. And they sit there and study it out. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of forethought. Amen. I heard a story that there was one such tournament that was taking place. And uh, a gentleman arose from the table uh, to take a bathroom break. You may have heard this story. And he begins to walk to the restroom. And as he's walking, he looks up on the back wall. And it was a gigantic picture. Uh, spanning the back wall, and it was a picture of a chess match. And he could see the two men as they're huddled over the table. And the title of the chess match was Checkmate. Checkmate. And this, this chess champion, he's walking, he looks back at the wall, and he sees this board, and all of a sudden he stops in his tracks. And he begins to study this board. And his mind is, 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 is whirling, and he's trying to figure out some things. And, and a few minutes go by, he's still standing there. He's totally forgot about going to the restroom. He's studying this picture, and he sees the title, Checkmate. And all of a sudden, Brother Mays, he lifts his voice like a crazy man in this crowded room and begins to point at that picture and say, It's a lie! It's a lie! People said, Men, what are you talking about? He said, the king still has one more move. The king. It's not checkmate yet. The king still has 
one more move. I'm not going to be long here this morning, but I want to preach to you that the king of kings still has one more move. This this story, it, it so reminds me of us when we get in church. I don't know, maybe most of us here were raised in church. I don't know anybody's background here. I don't know where you came from. But, but I would dare say, I would venture to say that there are people here under the sound of my voice that, that were bound, amen, by sin. There are people here that the devil had you locked up. There are people here that many times, if we were to roll back the time, amen, and look at your life, that the adversary declared checkmate. Many times the adversary declared that he had you right where he wanted you to be. Many times the adversary declared that the game was over only to uh, find out, only to discover, amen, that the king of kings um, always has one more move to make. Amen. There are people here in the sound of my voice. Amen. That perhaps you are a recipient of the mercy of God. Amen. Perhaps you walked away from God. You walked away from the church and, and the devil was sure. He said, I got my claws in them. Amen. I've got them on lockdown. Amen. There's no way they can escape. There's no way they can get out. Only to discover again that God, no matter how bad the situation, no matter how ugly things appear to be on the surface, that the king of glory has one more move to make praise God let me let me take a moment here uh, and go back over the story that I read into our hearing the book of Exodus starts out by telling us of the death of Joseph and his brethren and all of that generation amen then the Bible tells us something very interesting it says that there arose a new king which knew not Joseph. Amen. You would think that anybody that would run for any type of political position, amen, in Egypt, anybody that would ascend to the throne would have a knowledge and understanding of who Joseph was. You would think somehow the information would have been passed down from person to person that Joseph is the one that single-handedly, amen, kept Egypt from becoming a virtual wasteland. It was him and his knowledge. It was him and his planning. It was him and his relationship with his God that stopped Egypt from being destroyed in a time of famine. But somehow there was a disconnect. Somehow there was a disruption. Somehow a mistake seemed to be made on the part of the Egyptians that there arose a king that did not know how significant and how important that the man Joseph was. Again, I told you last night or on Friday night, amen, that God allowed David, amen, to be turned away from battle. I believe that God allowed a king to arise that did not know Joseph. And this king, he he looks out over the expanse of his kingdom, and he is watching as the Hebrews, the children of Israel, are growing and multiplying in number. And he says, there's going to come a day that these people are going to outnumber us, and a war is going to break out, and they're going to join themselves to our enemies and they're going to overthrow us and they're going to rule us and we're going to be serving them and because of this thought because of this mindset amen this Pharaoh set some taskmasters amen over the children of Israel and he 
force them to serve with rigor. The Bible says in all manner of service in the field, they were forced to build the treasure cities of Pithom and Ramses. Everything they did, there was a taskmaster that was standing over them with that whip in his hand. Amen. I want you to understand that there was generation after generation that was born to the Hebrews that were born into slavery and that died into slavery. Amen. The only thing they knew was the voice of a cruel, harsh taskmaster forcing them to serve the Egyptians. For 400 years, they're forced to labor. An amazing thing happens. He, he not only forces them to serve uh, and, and forces them to build the cities, and, amen, but, but he also makes a decree. He said, I want every male child. He instructs the midwives when you are, are, are serving in the office of a midwife with these Hebrew women, amen. If it's a male child, I want you to kill it right there on the spot. If it's a woman child, you can let her live. They're not a danger to us, and we're not afraid of them, amen. But the Bible tells us that the midwives feared God, and so whenever a male child was born, they would let that male child alone because they were more afraid of God, amen, the God of the Hebrews than they were of the Pharaoh, amen. So the Bible tells us that the people of God, the Hebrews grew mightily. They multiplied in number in the midst of the adversity that they were in the middle of. I'm telling you, they still thrive and multiplied. And the Bible says they wax very mighty. Let me stop right here and say the church has always thrived in the midst of adversity. The church has always soared high above the problems and the tests and the trials that, oh, the Bible tells us this. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. We don't die. We multiply. Amen. The devil comes against us. The adversary attacks us, but he cannot stop the church of the living God. Amen. The religious world can't stop us. The devil can't stop us. Carnal saints can't stop us. This is God's church. And it's founded upon a rock. Amen. In the midst of all of this adversity, I was thinking about this early, early this morning. In the midst of all of this, the Bible tells us that the people of God begin to sigh and to cry by reason of their bondage. And God remembered his covenant. Now, you got to understand something. When the scripture tells us that God remembered his covenant, that does not mean that all of a sudden a thought popped into his head. That does not mean that an idea occurred to him. That simply means that God acted upon what he had already set up. That simply means that God responded to their sighing and their crying. It's the same way today. Amen. People talk about wanting to be delivered. They talk about wanting to be set free. But there's not enough sighing and crying. You got to be sick and tired of your mess if you want God to deliver you. It's not enough that God wants to save you. The scripture tells us it's not his will that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But you've got to reach a place that you want to repent. When they begin to sigh and to cry, that's when God 
begin to make a way. Here they are, slaves. Here they are, servants to the Egyptians. And, 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 and this is another thought that hit me early this morning. I begin to think about this. Here it is, they're serving. They're forced to serve these, these, these cruel taskmasters. And in the middle of all of that, amen, a wedding took place. One of the sons of Levi, no name, didn't even give his name in the scripture, married one of the daughters of Levi. And who's got time to get married? Well, here we are, we're servants and we're slaves. And, 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 and they're having a wedding? In the middle of all that, they had a wedding and they got married. And this is an adult class. They did what married folks do, praise God. <laughs> and Moses was born. Here it is, they are serving the Egyptians, and they didn't even realize it, but while they're serving the Egyptians, God had brought two people together, caused them to get married, caused them to have a son, and the very one that was going to deliver them was born into slavery. To them, no doubt, when, when these two uh, people uh, got together, it was just an ordinary wedding, but they didn't know that the king was moving. To them, Moses, he was just a little child that was born. What's so important about him? Amen. They didn't understand that God was orchestrating his plan to deliver them. And the very one that was born into slavery was going to be the tool in the hand of God to deliver and redeem them out of Egyptian bondage. Oh, that kind of puts me in the mind of Jesus Christ. He was born unto sin. Amen. To set you and I free from sin. Amen. There was no pulp and circumstance. When Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, amen, they thought, who is this? Surely this can't be the Messiah. Amen. But he was born in a manger and he ended up on a cross to redeem lost humanity. Moses was born a slave. He was the very one that redeemed them from slavery. And in the middle of their servitude to the Egyptians, God had allowed this to happen and come about. Amen. Moses is born. You know the story. He is hid of his parents three months because they saw he was a proper child, didn't fear the king's commandment. And God, you can't convince me that God does not have a sense of humor. Amen. It comes to the time that Moses is too old to be cared for by his parents in secret. And so, so his sister takes him and they put him in the, the ark of, of bull rushes and they set him there in the river. And here comes the daughter of Pharaoh, the daughter of the one that's made the law that every man child is to be destroyed, every man child is to be killed. And, 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 and she's coming down to wash herself there with her servants. And, and all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost just reaches over and pinches that little boy and he starts to cry. And her maternal instincts kicked in. And she said, man, look at this little child. I, I hate to leave him here by himself. I, I've got to take him home with me. She did not know, amen, that she took home to support and to raise and nurture the very one that was going to destroy Egypt. And here is Pharaoh sitting on his throne. And he's trying his best to force the people of God. He's trying his best to keep them enslaved in Egypt and he doesn't even know it but a few doors down in his own house he is supporting the tool that's going to deliver them out of Egypt God raised up a deliverer for his people and he made Pharaoh pay for them 
the process of time. God uses Moses. Took him a while to get where God wanted him to be. Man, I'm having too much fun here. I'm taking too much time. And uh, plague after plague is rained down upon the Egyptians. Locusts, the lice, the darkness, water turned to blood, and all these things were caused. Until finally, Pharaoh says, okay, enough is enough. Get out of here. You can leave. Take everything you have. Just get out of Egypt. And that final plague came the death of the firstborn. Just get out of Egypt. Please get out as fast as you can. So, man, you talk about rejoicing. Well, they were shouting. They were jigging. They had their tambourines. They were rejoicing. Oh, Moses, I tell you what, we love you, Moses. We're making the exodus. We're getting out of here. Oh, you're the best pastor I've ever had. Oh, I love you, pastor. I knew from the moment you first came to this church. Oh, God sent you. I've heard him get up and testify. Pastor, I love you, Pastor. I'm with you 100%. We're going to be here until Jesus comes. Oh, this is my church. I love this church. I love my pastor. And put five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 in the offering on one pop. And you say, man, they're committed. And a few weeks later, across town somewhere. Y'all believe that alone. Praise God. But they were so happy. Moses, we love you. My goodness, we're getting out, out of here. They got their kids and, and they got everything they have, their cattle, and they're, they're leaving. They're making the exodus. They're finally leaving Egypt. You talk about joy unspeakable and full of glory. And as they're making their way out, all of a sudden, I can see somebody say, wait, shh, shh, I hear something. You hear that? Everybody gets quiet. I think I hear some chariot wheels. And they look over their shoulder, and in the distance, they can see a growing cloud of dust. Because God has once again hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he is pursuing after them to bring them back to Egypt. And immediately, all joy is gone. Immediately they point their fingers and say, Moses, you dirty scoundrel. We told you to leave us alone. They stop singing his praises. I'm telling you, folks can turn on a dime. Moses, it's not just the word that we told you while we were in Egypt. Just leave us alone. We're satisfied. That's not what they were saying. But they, they immediately lose faith and hope, and they point their finger at the man of God. And Moses, as, as many preachers have to do, many pastors have to do, he said, Fear not. Stand still. I don't know, maybe somebody was running in place. They were so scared, just about to pull their hair out. Most said, just, just calm, chill out, calm down. I know, you know, my, my dad many times, you know, people come to him, and I've, I've gone to him myself, and you've got some pressing situations. I mean, you you got some real issues, and you say, hey, you know, what I need to do about this? And he'll say, you know, we, we'll pray about it. And I'm thinking, pray about it. I need an answer from God right now. I need you to tell me what thus saith the word of the Lord. Pray about it. 
This is serious. And he's just as calm as you please. We'll, we'll, we'll pray about it and see what happens. He's like, God, praise God. Moses says, calm down. And they're thinking, what do you mean? Here we are. You brought us to this Red Sea. There's mountains on either side. And Pharaoh is coming hot on our trail. You said, calm down. But Moses knew what they didn't know. That no matter how bad it looks, no matter how messed up the situation, no matter how impossible things appear to the naked eye, the king still has one more move. <laughs> Woo! My, 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 my. Here comes Pharaoh. They're all afraid. And Moses says, I want you to take a good look at these Egyptians. Turn around. Look at them. The Egyptians that you have seen today, he said, you're going to see them again no more forever. In essence, what he was saying was, take one last look at this problem. Take one last look at this situation. Take one last look at this devil that's been staring you in the face because the king is getting ready to make a move. I want to tell you something. According to the rules, amen, the children of Israel should have been carted back to Egypt. But God doesn't play by the rules. Our God makes up his own rule. There was nowhere to go. And all of a sudden the king said, it's time to move. And Moses stretched forth his rod. And the Bible says the Red Sea parted on both sides. That's not a move that a man can make. There's no move like when the king starts to move. There's no move like when God moves in your life. Hallelujah. They descend into this Red Sea. Amen. And they begin to march through on dry ground. When they get to the other side, Moses again stretches forth that rod and here comes that water cascading down. And the Bible lets us know that every Egyptian from the Pharaoh on down was drowned. Why? Because the king still has one more move. Pharaoh was screaming checkmate that day. I got you boxed in. I got you in a corner. Ah, uh, you can't move to the left. You can't move to the right. You can't go in front of you. And I'm coming up behind you. It's it's checkmate. It's checkmate. But but God said, hold up. You don't you don't understand. I've got a move to make. I've been thinking way in advance. You don't understand, Pharaoh. I'm the one that hardened your heart. I'm the one that caused you to pursue after them because I didn't want them just to get out of Egypt. I want to destroy you. Oh, I believe there are times in our life, amen, that the adversary is declaring checkmate. And God has to inform him, devil, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've been playing checkers all this time, and I've been playing chess. I orchestrated this from the very beginning. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, man, the scripture it, it is just replete with stories that I believe illustrate this. No matter how bad it gets... God has still got another move to make. Oh, what about old Lazarus? 
Ah, he's sick. And, and the Bible tells us that this is a man that Jesus loves. And, and so Mary and Martha, when Lazarus falls sick, they send messengers. Go find Jesus, please. Just bring him back. Notify him that, that Lazarus, the one that he loves, is sick. Amen. They knew that if Jesus got the word, that he would immediately come and heal their sick brother. Many times he had sat at the table in their house and ate with them and fellowship with them. And the scripture tells us that he, I know God loves everybody, but it took out time to say that he loved them. And Lazarus falls sick and, and I can see Martha after the servants come back and say, we found Jesus. We talked to him. We gave him the message. And I can see Martha run over to the bedside and say, Lazarus, just hold on. Just, I, I know you're in pain, brother, but I'm sure Jesus is coming. Just, just don't give up. Keep on fighting. He, he's got word, and you know how much Jesus loves you. He's going to come and heal your body. Surely, surely Jesus is coming. A day went by. Two days went by. And Lazarus finally dies. Imagine the question. Wait a minute. Didn't you tell us that you, you caught up with Jesus? Didn't you tell us that, that you talked to him? Didn't he know that Lazarus was sick? Why did he not come and heal his body? Jesus waits until Lazarus dies. Not only that, but he's dead. They bury him and four days have passed. And then Jesus says, hey, let's, let's go back. We're going to go visit Lazarus. He's asleep. And the disciples knew he was sick. They said, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, I mean, he's going to wake up. He's going to feel a lot better. And then Jesus had to break it way down for him. He said, he's not asleep. He said, Lazarus is dead. And then the next verse says, and I am glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. So you put that, that verse together with the, with the next verse. He says, Lazarus is dead and I'm glad. Look at it. John 11, he said, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. Sometimes, sometimes, I don't understand this. I don't claim to understand this. But sometimes we can experience tragic things in our lives. Sometimes we can, we can be faced uh, with, with things that we do not understand. It makes no sense to our finite way of thinking. But we've got to understand that God, and I can talk about this because I've been through a few things. We've got to understand that God always has a plan. God always has insight. And he's always got forethought in everything that he allows to happen in our lives. The Bible does not teach that all things are good. The Bible does teach that all things work together for good. Are you with me here today? to hit this. Amen. Amen. I, I did not understand why three years ago that my wife, my young wife, uh, we're out on the evangelistic field. God is doing great things, seeing people get the Holy Ghost and, and uh, meeting new people, just having a great time and watching God move. I didn't understand why all of a sudden, in the middle of all of that, it seemed like we were being uh, used by God. It seemed like God had a purpose and a plan that all of a sudden she falls sick. 
here we are. We're in California. We're at Brother and Sister White's church. And uh, she's in excruciating pain. Oh, excruci- I can't even describe it to you. So bad so that we had to go to the emergency room and, and they examined her. They took one look and said, you know what? You've got to get back home immediately. We don't know what all is wrong with you. So we go back home and kind of cut to the chase here. All these, all these things are, are plaguing our mind. The doctors tell us, well, you know what, the situation that your wife's dealing with, it's not a big deal. She's just got a partial bowel obstruction. I can go in and I can and she, you know, take the baby. I can just cut it up and you know, put it back together. It won't take 30, 45 minutes. Today comes, Jalen is born on December 17th, and uh, the doctor comes in to do his job. 30 minutes go by, and he's nowhere to be seen. Two hours go by, he's nowhere to be seen. Five hours go by, he's still in there. Six, seven hours comes by, and finally he comes out of the operating room, Brother Mays, and his hair is all messed up. And he's looking rough like he's been through the ringer, and he tells me, Mr. Hood, I'm sorry, it doesn't look too good. It's, it's a mess. Your wife's intestines are wrapped around her spleen. They were attached to her abdominal walls, and, and she's got all kinds of problems. And, and, and he told us that her intestines were so messed up that you could literally rub them out with your fingers. sitting there trying to process all this information. And finally, after about seven, eight hours, they roll my wife out of the operating room and she's there and she's unconscious. And, and I'm sitting there looking at her, trying to, to, to get a hold of myself. And, and, and one of the nurses comes up and he says, I'm sorry, sir, you'd have to leave. Something's wrong. This, you know, she should not be bleeding like this. She's got tubes all attached to her body and, and blood is pouring out of these tubes. So they sit me out and I walk out and I'm thinking and contemplating. All of a sudden, an alarm goes off on this intercom in this hospital. The doctors begin to come running out, yelling and screaming, pushing my wife on a gurney. I looked and I'm, I'm wondering, what, what, is going, what, what is going on here? And I asked the doctor, is everything going to be all right? And she didn't want to lie to me. She said, I don't know. I take her back. She's bleeding internally. Open her back up. Begin to operate. Hours go by. sense to me. Hours go by. Finally, we're all there moving us from one waiting room to the next. Out in Tennessee. Moving us from one operating room to the next and finally they get us isolated by ourselves and they tell us, hey, you want to sit in the chapel and talk to you. sitting there and all of a sudden the phone rings and it breaks the silence and you're stunned and you sit there and things go on and get away. The family's there and the mom's there and the mom's there. They're not in church. I reach for the phone and it's the doctor. He's calling from the operating room. He said, I've done everything I can do. Your wife's bleeding to death. There's a good chance she's going to die. They're giving her 16, 17 Every pipe they put in, poured right out. I hung up the phone. I sat there. Everybody's staring at me. I wasn't trying to be dramatic. 
that's a throw. And the Lord looked at her. My mother fell down on her face and began to scream and to cry out to God. She began to scream for the maid, the name of Jesus. Oh, my God, help me, Jesus. The devil said, checkmate. the devil said checkmate and I walked out of that room and I began to cry and weep I didn't even have words to pray I walked outside and I began to pray and reach out to God and cry and hours and hours go by I looked up in the hospital hallway I don't know how he found out but I looked and there's Tim Copeland he's come walking down the aisles of that hospital and tears are streaming down his face and he falls on my neck and begins to weep and cry and we begin to pray Somehow through the course of the night, with her bleeding internally, and at death's door, God moved his hand, and he stopped the bleeding. When the doctors had given up hope, and the doctor said she's dying. And I thought, Lord, this makes no sense to me. How, how, can, this, how can this be a blessing to the kingdom? Here it is. It seems like to me that we can be more used by you if we're together and we're preaching and we're praying and we're fasting and seeing great things. Why is this happening? This makes no sense to me. I want to tell somebody, God, God's ways are not our ways. I wish I could say, uh, and, and it was a miracle that she made it through that night. She stayed in ICU for a long time, unconscious on machines that keeping her alive all kinds of problems, all kinds of internal problems in the surgeries. And I wish I could say after that that it was just smooth sailing and we walked out of the hospital and we've been doing great ever since. But, but that began the biggest nightmare of my life. And can I be honest with you? My wife's not here, but I'm just going to be honest. She, she, she knows how I feel about all of this. But amazed there were watched her suffer for the past three years. And, and please, I, I don't want to sound selfish. I don't want to get it's nothing of that nature. But there were times that I thought, talk to God, Lord, if I didn't die, if she would have died, I would have died. Because of the amount of suffering that she had to endure. Seven months. Still, oh Lord, have mercy. Please, I'm not. I'm not singing the blues here today. I, I, I'm not here complaining. I'm not here. I'm not here trying to get anybody's sympathy. I'm just telling you that I know what it's like to go through things that, to, that just simply don't make sense. And you, you want to say, God, what are you doing? I live long enough. Look back to some degree and know I'm not out of the woods yet. Yes, she's still got some issues. She's come a mighty, mighty, mighty long way. But I've lived long enough to look back and say, I can see your hand in it. I can see you moving. I can see you working. It doesn't make sense to me. 
you know what, we, we, we pray prayers that we really don't mean. We say, God, whatever it takes, I want to be saved. Whatever you got to do. And then God says, okay, let me, let me move over here. Let me work this situation out. And it, it doesn't make sense to us. And we begin to question God. Why did you do this? Why did this happen to me? I didn't deserve this. And can I, you know what, I look, I look at people in the world just like David did in Psalm 73. He said, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I saw how healthy they were. I saw how much money they had in the bank. I saw how well fed they were. They don't have any problems. He said, here I am doing my best to serve you and all hell is breaking loose in my life. I look, can I just be honest, I look, amen, at other women in the world. heard that voice, but I've heard the devil say, that ain't fair. I have to shake myself and say, Lord, I'm not serving you just because of what you've done. I'm not serving you just because things you promised me things would be always easy and good. Lord, I'm serving you because I love you. And Lord, if my wife dies, I'm still going to be in church. I'm still going to lift my hands. I'm still going to worship. I'm still going to, because you ain't never done me nothing but good. Some of you think I'm trying to hype you up. I'm looking at some of you. You think I'm trying to just, just trying to elicit a response. I'm telling you, I had to reach a place in my walk with God that I said, God, if she dies. And there's been several times in the past three years that she was at death's door and it looked bad. And each time, for whatever reason, God decided to move and intercept the situation. But I had to make up my mind, Brother Mays, no matter what happens, I'm still going to serve God. I'm serving God for myself. I'm serving God because I love him myself. And though it makes no sense, I want you to know, Lord, I want you to heal her. I want you to work a miracle. But if you don't, amen, the children of Israel said this, Daniel uh, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said this, if, if our God is able, but if he does not choose to deliver us out of this furnace, we're still not going to bow. You got to say, God, I want you to heal me. But if you don't heal me, I'm still going to serve you. Oh, God, have mercy. Oh, Lord. I've reached a place, and some of you really not going to understand this. I've reached a place. I've been in church all of my life. I've Holy Ghost for 20 years.
Man, you really believe this? And hell, I, I, you really, I, I can see you having a hard time believing this. But all of this. And this trial shook me to my very core. And I had to settle some issues, Brother Evans, in my heart and in my mind. see some prayers that God had answered where there was no doubt because the devil was trying to shake me. salvation that we preach and the fact that God loves me more than I ever have in my life. I'm going to talk to somebody here for just a moment. I, I totally got off topic with the fact that I, I'm just going to leave this in this direction. There's a lot more things I could say. I know what it's like. Saying, can't nobody do me like Jesus. I've seen her scoop that bag up, Sister Juliet. You've seen her take off, run around those aisles. Look at other people that hadn't been through nothing. Sit back and point their finger at God. Don't want to serve. Have a flat tire ready to backslide. I don't have. I don't have patience for people that make excuses as to why they can't serve God, why they can't live for God. When there are others that have been through the fire and they've been through the flood and they still got their mind made up. I don't care what you, you hear me? I don't care what you go through. It's never an excuse or reason to point your finger at God and refuse to give God praise. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. While the knife is coming down, I'm 
still going to be blessing his name. The Lord hath given and he's taken away. Blessed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said, I don't understand it. I've been living righteously. I've been praying for my children. I, I, I love righteousness. I hate iniquity. I'm doing everything I should do. Why? And he didn't understand that there was a conversation that was had in heaven, that God was talking to Satan. And the devil said, the only reason he's serving you is because of what you've given him and how you've blessed him. But I guarantee you, God, you let me take away his stuff. You let me afflict his body and he'll spit in your face. Job didn't know this conversation was had about him, but God said, no, Job is made out of more stuff than that. Job is serving me because he loves me. You can put your hand on him, but don't take his life. His world in one day was turned upside down. And it seemed like God had forsaken him, but there was a conversation that he never heard. Could it be? In fact, Stan, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Could it be? Could it be that there's been a conversation had? God was talking about you. He said, no, they're not serving me just because of what they have. Devil, you're wrong. They're not serving me just because of what I've given them. They're not just serving me because things are going good. Devil, you can touch their life. You can move in this situation. You can, you can, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of room. You might be on the verge of cursing God. You might be on the verge of, 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 of truly making a horrible decision. Or maybe you're just wondering in your mind. I want to tell you there's a conversation that could have been had about you. And God has comforted you. That you're going to serve him no matter what you go through. God, have mercy. I don't even know how to end this. Can we stand to our feet here today? Oh, Jesus. Sometimes in this game, of life. Pieces are laid out on the table. And sometimes you're living this life and you're living this game and you wonder, Lord, why did you move there? Lord, why did you why did you move me here? Why did you allow this to happen? Why? Remember, he's always thinking ahead. And when we don't understand sense to us. The king is always moving. He's always working things out for his glory, for his will, for his purpose. No matter where you are, no matter what the situation is today, the king still has one more move. Can we lift our hands and love him here today? Come on, everybody in the house, let's lift our hands. Let's, let's worship the Lord. Let's entertain. The Holy Ghost is here. These altars are open if there's anybody here that wants to pray. I think about Daniel. He got a word from God. The Lord revealed some things to him. And as soon as God revealed it, he began to pray and to fast. He set himself to seek the Lord. And the Bible says that the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And for three weeks he fasted and prayed. And there was no answer. So finally, here comes 
here comes the Lord. And the first words out of the Lord's mouth, or out of that being that Daniel sees is, Old Daniel, a man greatly beloved of God. Almost as if to calm his fears. Daniel, don't you worry about anything. God loves you greatly. Those questions you've been having, those things, those concerns, let me just settle the issue in your heart. God loves you. I want to tell somebody here, in spite of all you've gone through, in spite of your storm, in spite of your tests, God loves you. And when we don't understand, he's still got a plan. When it doesn't make sense to us, the king is working everything out. If we just trust him, if we just believe him, if we just stay with God, if we just stay with the church, everything will be all right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It doesn't make sense. Don't understand it. Doesn't seem fair. Doesn't seem fair, but God, I know one thing. I'm going to stay with you. I know one thing. You've got everything under control. I, I, I don't understand it, but Lord, I trust you. Lord, I love you. And no matter what I face, it's not going to affect my relationship with you. All it's going to do is draw me closer to you. The king is moving. Even when it does not appear that he is doing so, the king is moving and he's working things out. All things work together for good to them that love God. Let's worship him today. Let's worship him today. 